Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart to everyone around the world who has helped make the dreams of a young Swiss ball kid come true. To the game of tennis, I love you and will never leave you. How exactly do we measure greatness? By the number of titles, the number of grand slams, There are certain things that numbers can't convey. The beauty he instilled in the discipline, enriching and perfecting his game year after year. His grace and elegance on and off the court, which made him one of the most revered athletes of our time. Numbers will never fully encompass the extent of his legend, continually growing nor the breadth of his legacy perpetually inspiring. For his is a greatness that can never be measured. His name is Roger Federer! not something we want to do, but it is just about time to say goodbye to the great uh, Roger Federer. Welcome everybody to the first serve. It is your home of tennis every Monday night here on SEN. Right across uh, the network, uh, Brett Phillips in the chair. Happy to take uh, your calls as always tonight. one 736 736 or on the Tennis Direct text 0433981116 if you prefer to text through. Of course, uh, Tennis Direct uh, Australia's number one online tennis store. You can get your rackets, accessories, anything to do with tennis. Tennisdirect.com.au. That little promo code, first serve one zero, get a nice little discount. Wherever you are listening around Australia, uh, you will get those goods delivered right to your front door. I'd love your Roger Federer reflections uh, tonight. one 736 as we continue to digest uh, that news and the Labor Cup, which I have mentioned a number of times on this show that I've never been engrossed by, uh, to be totally honest, but I will be 
uh, this coming uh, weekend, which will be on uh, Stan Sport, I was told uh, last night. Uh, and hopefully Roger makes it out on court. I suppose the dream would be to play doubles uh, with his great rival, uh, Rafael Nadal, uh, this coming uh, weekend. But if you've got a Roger reflection, happy to hear from you tonight. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll hear from uh, two of his uh, rivals uh, very shortly. Uh, Dane Sweeney's going to be a special guest uh, tonight. I really love the journey that Dane is going on. He won in Darwin uh, last night. He's had a terrific year on tour, and uh, as anyone knows who uh, who follows the first serve, we cover the full gamut from the ITS to the Challenger circuit, all the way up to the ATP and uh, the WTA uh, tour. So we'll have a chat to uh, Dane. We're going to hear from uh, Craig Tiley. I tuned into uh, an interesting presentation uh, from uh, Tennis Australia uh, last Thursday called uh, Game On. It's a full Tennis Australia participation review, so I'll get you to weigh in on that, there's a bit in the mailbag as well. And for those who entered, of course, the Casparud Yonix giveaway in the last week, we'll announce the winner uh, right at the end of the show. But what a career uh, for the great uh, Roger Federer. Of course, uh, world number one, 1,251 career wins. 82% of the matches he has played across his great career, he has won. Uh, Grand Slams, Australian Open, 2004, 2006, 2007, 2010, 2017, 2018. Saluted at Roland Garros, 2009. An eight-time Wimbledon champion, 2003, 2004, 05, 06, 07, 09, 2012, uh, 2017. Unfortunately, the one that got away, 2000 and 19 to Novak when he had the two uh, match points. So the last time I was at Wimbledon and uh, I nearly destroyed the commentary box I was in. Uh, US Open, five times in a row where he was absolutely dominant. 2004, 2005, 2006, 07, 08. Uh, winner of the tour finals, one, two, three, four, five, six occasions. Olympic silver medalist, uh, 2012 in London. Uh, he was a, a bronze medalist in uh, doubles. That was 2008. Uh, winning the Davis Cup, of course, for Switzerland, 2014. The Hopman Cup on uh, three occasions, of course. So the last one there in 2019. But as the intro said, I can reel off all those numbers. We can have an argument about who is the greatest of all time. But his legacy extends uh, well beyond all those uh, numbers. Uh, Mark is up in Sydney. Uh, Mark, it's great to have you on the show. I'm sure you've got a couple of thoughts on uh, the great Roger Federer tonight. I do. Good evening, BP. I, for one, will miss Roger very much. I do have a number of friends in Switzerland, and over there uh, he's very popular, just as in Australia. And I think he embodies everything that's good, not just about Switzerland, you know, as in class, generosity, and dedication to his craft, but also... He's a man who knows how to get on with everybody around the world, basically. And he's a man who's just the epitome of class. And I, for one, am thinking that I'll miss him in his career as much as someone in the class of, say, Dennis Lilly or Warning. Yep. Because he's a man who knows how to relate to everybody from different walks of life and do it with such class. And he always has time for people. And... He's a man who lived to not just better his game, but to better people around him. And that really strikes a chord with me with regard to a number of Aussie cricketers who I've met over the years. 
because I've met Ian Chapel, mm. and um, I was just walking through uh, Penrith Westfield one day, and then I spotted him at the local Dimmicks there, and uh, he was signing copies of his book. So I bought one and talked to him, yeah. and uh, said to him, he's been such an inspiration to me, like him, Greg, and Tr- uh, Trevor, ever since I was a kid, because I watched them growing up, and um, he uh, thanked me for uh, being a fan and signed the book, and the man was absolute class, and I think there's a number of guys I've met over the years like him, Merv Hughes, mm. Uh, mm. Shane Warne, Ian yeah. Healy. They were touring Legends. in New Zealand. I was living over there and um, managed to spend the day with the Australian cricket team when they played in Nelson. Me and my dad spent the day with them, and that was one of the best sporting memories of my life. And I think Roger's in that class of just a person who embodies not just the sport, but what it means to be passionate about it and to be a man who... Uh, enriches his fans and enriches just people totally around him. Beautifully said. Thank you, Mark. It's a it's a great tribute. And the, the, the biggest accolade I, I think you can get uh, when people uh, remember you is particularly people of note like this who are in the public eye for a, such a large uh, chunk of their life. Everyone wants a piece of them. They walk through the public and everyone wants to either shake their hand, take a photo with them, just be in their vicinity and that special quality, and we found that out about Shane Warne earlier in the year, those people like Roger and Shane and others, they can shake your hand, look you in the eye, and make you feel like the most important person around. That is a special skill to be engaged like that with every single person, to give those people who meet you a lifelong uh, memory. And, you know, we've you know got the Queen's funeral on at the, uh, the moment, which is a little distracting, I've got to say, uh, doing uh, this show and that's you know a whole other level, isn't it? Uh, but those sort of sentiments have come uh, this week as well in terms of people who did meet her and uh, what they took out of that experience. And anyone who's met Roger Federer or been in close uh, proximity uh, will have that same sort of experience. So Tony's in East Bentley. G'day, Tony. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Brett. Uh, with Roger... Great things come to an end, just like the Beatles, Neil Diamond, other greats of the world in their special field. And you won't realise how great Roger is until, say, five, ten years' time when he gets to present the Aussie Open trophy to that winner. And you're at at the court and there's probably a five-minute standing ovation before it's presented. Mm. That's how great he is. Yeah, (laughs) we heard that at the start. So... The intro had uh, Sue Barker introducing uh, Roger on to Wimbledon this year. Of course, Wimbledon celebrating 100 years of uh, centre court. All the uh, great champions came out, but the longest ovation went for Roger, which went about uh, two minutes, just people on their feet. Uh, You sort of had to jump back on the microphone and get things moving again. Otherwise, the crowd would have, I think, stood and applauded maybe for uh, 10 minutes I mean, the great part is that Roger's always going to be connected. Uh, unlike, you know, Pete Sampras had a great career but didn't want to stay engaged. He was a different personality who wanted to just drift off into the sunset, low-key, doesn't make many public appearances. Uh, Roger will be an ambassador. He'll be around the sport. Who knows? He might become the ATP chairman one day. He might become something significant that shapes uh, the next uh, generation. Uh, Tony, I do appreciate your thoughts. I wanted to listen to uh, two players who went head-to-head a lot with uh, Roger across uh, the journey. Like so many, inferior in terms of the win-loss uh, column, but we might start with our very own Leighton Hewitt, who found out the news while he was leading Australia's Davis Cup team in Hamburg in the last week. 
of my kind of era, I guess, and you know, we were the same age, we grew up together in junior, so I knew Roger extremely well and probably saw him slightly different to everyone else um, because we grew up together, but you know, he, he was the greatest of, of that time. Um, you know, obviously there's a couple of other guys now that have really put their hand up, but he went clear easily from, you know, Grand Slam perspective and, and really just his win-loss ratio there, you know, mid-2000s there, he was nearly unbeatable. It was pretty much only Rafa that could get him, especially on the clay. So, but most of all, he's been a great ambassador for our sport. So, you know, I always said that you don't want to push those guys out of the game too early. Everyone wants to talk about retirement. When when are they going to retire? You you want to hold on to those greats and they've done so many special things for our sport. And, um, you know, to be honest, I just said to Rochi then as I was walking out, I said it would have been nice for him. You know, he deserved to go out on his terms, you know, for him to play one more Wimbledon or, or something, I think would have been special. But, you know, obviously, you know, the body, <laughs> you get to my age and his age now and it's not easy. Now he's done everything in the sport that you could ever dream of. Did, did you like playing him? Because I remember him saying he hated playing you in the early days. Well, it was probably the same, just reverse. So I loved playing him at the start and then hated it for about 12 years. So, you know, when you keep losing and especially quite a few were big matches, but I, I think the biggest thing, we had a mutual respect for each other. So, you know, every time we stepped on the court, we competed as hard as possible and then the best man won on, at the time. You know, there were probably a couple of telling results that sort of, you know, the, obviously the big result for me was the Davis Cup semi-final, but in some ways, I know he'd won Wimbledon just prior to that, but in some ways that turned his career as well. He, I think that one really stung in a lot of ways, not only because it was the Davis Cup playing for Switzerland, but we were actually playing for the Peter Carter Cup at the time. There, were, there was a lot of emotion around that particular tie. And yeah, I think he kind of went from strength to strength after that. Two sets to love and, and with a double break or a break in the third and you turn that around. Yeah, Davis Cup, I, I prided myself and, and he was, I think, world number one, just got to it and uh, won his first Wimbledon a couple of months before that. So, you know, for me to do that, I dreamt of doing it. I watched Cash beat, you know, Pernforce from two sets to love down and I always dreamt to be in that position. And for me to do it against someone the calibre of Federer at the time, yeah, it was always one of my greatest matches. So that's Leighton's reflections on going head-to-head with uh, Roger. Andy Roddick won one Grand Slam, Andy. Unfortunately, was in the era where Roger was at his absolute peak. <laughs> He's got good perspective, uh, Roddick. He's good value in the media over in the US. He's part of the Tennis Channel. He was part of a discussion uh, with Lindsay Davenport and also uh, Paul Anacone, who, of course, coached uh, Roger Federer uh, going back uh, about a decade ago, just reflecting on the four grand slams where he finished runner-up to uh, to Roger and the challenge of playing Roger Federer. Andy, you faced Roger Federer three times in a final at Wimbledon. What was it like being on the other side of a net from Roger Federer centre court in a final? Depressing at times. You know, when, when he's kind of firing on all cylinders, and obviously it was a, a great run in 2017, when we played, uh, actually played him four years in a row, uh, semis final, final, and then another final later on. In his prime, though, you know, he had the option of, of, of serving and volleying a lot more. He played great defense. He was able to keep that chip down and kind of get out of a tough situation uh, anytime. I think uh, in his prime, when he, when he was maybe a step faster, he passed amazingly well. And I don't think that gets talked about enough because it, it took away kind of a, a desperation option of just kind of going like a full-on assault and being super aggressive. You felt like you had to make a decision, but none of which were a good one. You know, Andy, one of the things I always found interesting watching Roger on grass is you look at him taking time away 
And when he returns, even against a great server like you, it's not the oppressive return style like a Novak, but it's the hockey goalie style. But it still kind of puts you in awkward positions. Did that kind of return style make it more difficult for you to react to? You're spot on, Paul. It was like a, it was basically like a volume play. He was going to make a ton of returns. But the other thing, like when when I was playing, uh, when I was serving against guys and they were taking big cuts at returns or at least trying to hit over every return, uh, they were rarely going to kind of square it up perfectly. So I was going to win a bunch of the first serve points with Roger. He was able to, with very, very, very small movements, put the ball back in play. And once we were neutral, it was it was his advantage. So, uh, you know, there are probably better returners in the game against uh, servers. I, I was a good server who maybe weren't as, as good a service as I was. You know, for me specifically, I didn't want the ball to get down. So I hit that little chip down on my back and I couldn't hit topspin. So we we kind of played the same point over and over. But his ability to kind of accept my pace with very little movement and make a ton of returns was was frustrating. Well, we always say that Roger makes it look so easy out there. So maybe sometimes he doesn't get the credit of what a great tactician he is also. Not only against you, when you saw him play against other players, do you think that's an underrated part of his game, what he's trying to do with his shots to disrupt the rhythm of his opponent? So I'll give a very specific story uh, that, that kind of lends itself to your point. For a while, any time that I decided, and Paul probably knows this is going to laugh because I'm sure Roger talked to him about it when he was coaching him, but for, for a long time, whenever I would try to run around a second serve return against Roger, I would always pick the wrong time and he would kind of pull the string and, and hit like a slice cut second serve. And so I guess I did something. I popped up like a quarter of a second early, earlier than I normally did just to accept a backhand return. And he knew that for 12 years and would just pull the string and he would kind of keep his <laughs> eyes on me for longer you know, he kind of has that thing where he can, he's looking at the returner longer than than most people do when they serve. And so I finally figured this out. Someone let it slip somewhere along the line. And the last couple of times I played him, I was getting I was just cranking second serve returns. And, he, you know, there was this moment where I got a hold of like three or four in Miami when I was playing terrible and he was still Roger. And I somehow won that match early on in the second set where he's, he's going, oh, you know now. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tell you. years to figure it out. <laughs> Great reflections. Uh, great insights from uh, Andy Roddick about just the challenge of playing uh, Roger uh, Federer. You can probably sleep a little easier now, but it was a nightmare as Andy was uh, trying to chase uh, at least one Wimbledon title. Uh, Chris is in Rose Bay. He's given us a call. Uh, Chris, welcome. You got a Roger Federer reflection? I, I was staggered when he won the Australian Open in 2017 because Roger hadn't won yeah. a major for a Grand Slam for five years. Um, and I think seven, he'd only, he won Wimbledon in 2012. And before that, he hadn't won a, a, made, a Grand Slam. 2010, I think, was before that. So he'd won one Grand Slam in seven years. Mm. And he comes out here, plays immaculate tennis. He was sort of almost forgotten. And then... He goes on and then wins Wimbledon and the Australian Open. He wins three of the next five. Um, and and I just can't believe he did that at yeah. his age then, how he'd been in the wilderness for so long. And all of a sudden, he just almost re-emerged again as the great Roger Federer after five years. That, to me, is staggering. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever see that again where... <laughs> Chris, that's a, a great, great call. Yeah, great reflection. Um, and look, just testament uh, to the the champion that he was. And you know, he was so durable for a long period. And then, you know, Father Time catches up with all uh, athletes. He's, he was getting into his thirties. Uh, the emergence of Djokovic, 
Um, you know, he'd lost his um, his absolute dominance, but it was still a formidable force. And then he gets back to, what, world number one at 36, 37, wins those last couple of majors. And, gee, if he had been able to salute at Wimbledon in 2019 when he had those two match points, I'll just never forget it. Uh, I think that was his toughest loss, uh, the one that um, really broke his heart. But he's still an eight-time winner at the All England Club, which um, is something nothing, uh, no one can take away from him. Uh, of course, uh, Roger Federer at Reflections. Dane Swinney to come. Craig Tiley will hear from the Australian Open. And, uh, of course, uh, Tennis Australia uh, CEO very, very uh, shortly. Uh, AATC, of course, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches. They are providing quality coach education right across the globe. Uh, courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorse, inquire and enrol at uh, aatc.tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve on this uh, Monday night. On the 8th and 9th of October, the Australian Paddle Tour is coming to Melbourne in conjunction with Tennis Australia, Development Victoria and Oz Paddle, the Melbourne Classic Australian Ranking Points Tournament is being hosted by One Paddle, which is at 206 Lorimer Street at the Docklands. You can come and see some of Australia's best paddle players and get a glimpse of the sport that is taking the tennis world by storm. For bookings, information and tournament registrations, you can visit onepaddle.com.au or follow them on Instagram at one underscore paddle Australia. Uh, Troy's over in uh, beautiful WA. Troy, welcome to the show. Hey, Pete, how are you, buddy? Oh, I am going beautifully. Good to have you on the show. I hear you on SCN all the time, but never on the first serve. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm a busy man. We're a couple of hours behind, just so, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. You all know. good. you got a Roger... Don't, don't take offence to it, BP. No, no offence taken. All time. I'd love you to give me a Roger reflection. Um, did you say over 1,000 games he won, BP? 1,251 wins he has had. So he's won 82% of the matches that he's played. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? So my recollection of that would be that basically from day one to sadly today, he's been, he'd have to be one of the most consistent sport people in the world with that uh, percentage of, you know, winning yep. 82%. That's phenomenal. So I do congratulate Roger on that. And I do hope, like you said earlier, BP, that he does go into, like, the administration and that of it because I think, um, you know, he could sort a lot of uh, a lot of things out with tennis and hopefully maybe world sport further down the line as well, mate. He's got a lot of living to do and he's still got a big contribution to make, I think, uh, post being an athlete, Roger Federer. Uh, he's got four kids as well that... Um, We'll need Dad's attention. Uh, Muka, he's a lovely wife who's been at his side from uh, day one, effectively gave up her potential tennis career when they met at the Sydney Olympics in 2000 to be really uh, in charge of you know the whole family and the whole uh, um, the business, really, that is Roger Federer, uh, the foundation that he's got, which has done so much uh, great work, particularly uh, in Africa. Uh, so there's uh, there's a lot of boxes to tick uh, for Roger, uh, there is no doubt. Uh, Davis Cup, we need to mention, happy to still take your Roger reflections uh, throughout the hour, uh, 1-300-736-736. We heard from Leighton earlier talking about Roger, but uh, the good news for Australia 
in the last week is that they are through to the last eight, the quarterfinals of the Davis Cup, which will be in Malaga in Spain in uh, late November. Uh, wins over Belgium, clean sweep there. Win over France 2-1. We went down to Germany uh, last night. It could be a formidable force, particularly if they get Alexander Zverev uh, back in that team from uh, injury. But it was an interesting situation for Australia last night because uh, the runner-up of that group, Group C that they are in, were guaranteed to play the Netherlands. If they had a one, uh, there was Serbia, there was Canada, and there was Spain all in the mix of potentially meeting Australia in that quarterfinal stage. So not the worst result for Australia to lose, but if we can take anything out of the selections last night, so Max Purcell thrown in to the singles, whose ranking is outside the top 200. But I, we all know, if anyone knows a bit about tennis, knows that Max has got a lot more capabilities and uh, he's ranking at the moment. And then Thanasis Kokonakis is thrown in under the weather. We saw him coughing courtside last night. It's a great effort by Kokonakis. That's the sort of grit that I'd love him to show. Uh, and he's played a lot of tough matches this year, a lot of three-set matches. He's built some resilience, all the injuries he's been through. There's no doubt he's got the capabilities of being a, a top 50 player, but he was under the weather last night, so whether he was going to make it through the match when you're weighing up which group you maybe you want to be in. So it didn't uh, it didn't end up being the worst result uh, for Australia, but uh, they are through. So Italy, Croatia, Spain, Canada, Germany, Australia, <clears throat> Netherlands and the USA all through uh, to the uh, final eight, which will be in Malaga in Spain, as I mentioned uh, in November, uh, the tour, of course, no ATP results in the last week, but a couple of really good results. It's up on our website today, thefirstserve.com.au. Katarina Siniakova, only a week ago with Barbora Krichikova, won the US Open women's doubles, has also had a, a reasonable singles career, but uh, she played in an absolute marathon against the uh, Wimbledon champion Alina Rybakina. That was in Portoros in Slovenia over the weekend, the WTA 250, 6-7. 7-6-6-4 in three hours and six minutes in one of the finals of the year. So well done to uh, Siniakova. And the Czechs, as we know, speaking of the Czech theme, they just keep producing very good tennis players. You would have heard me mention before the Fruvatova sisters. So there's Linda, who's 17, Brenda, who's 16. Now, Linda, as a, uh, as a result of winning her first uh, WTA event, over the weekend, which was the 250 in uh, Chennai, beat the number three seed Magda Lynette, 17 years of age. She's already up to 130 in the world, so knocking on the door of the top 100. Brenda, her younger sister at 16, is almost on the cusp of the top 200, uh, which is quite extraordinary, uh, the way those two are developing. And having seen them uh, debut sort of 14, 15 on the ITF tour, they have got some uh, enormous uh, potential. All our results, thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre. It's a little mini Melbourne park out in Melbourne's north. An absolute beauty. It's got tennis for everyone. Perfect also for coaches and players. If you're coming from interstate to train and compete close to Melbourne Airport, accommodation available. You can find out more at humetennis.com.au. We'll talk to Dane Sweeney right after the break. Thanks to GLG Green Life Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve. Your home of tennis. Brett Phillips with you tonight. I just want to tell you about the Victoria Tennis Cup Carnival. We wrote an article on our website, thefirstserve.com.au, the other day. It's a new event for 12, 14 and 16-year-olds. It's going to be played over the Melbourne Cup weekend. 
uh, with the John Newcomb Tennis Academy in Texas as the major partner. All players will play a minimum of four matches and six will win a week at Nukes as part of an organised trip in 2023. All thanks to the sponsorship of tennis businesses. Very keen to support the tennis community. The event has a huge uh, $25,000 prize pool, including uh, the chance to win a free college uh, placement uh, service. So uh, registrations are now open with details on the UTR page for each of the organising associations, Waverley, uh, Eastern Region and the North East Junior Tennis Association. You can get involved in that. Uh, we're going to get up to the top end to Darwin. Of course, the Australian Pro Tour in full swing. Been a really big week. Great to watch a lot of the matches uh, streamed over the past week. Uh, Alexandra Basovic won her first ever uh, singles title, a 23-year-old on the ITF Tour, winning the final last night. And my next guest uh, saluted for the fourth time this year at ITF level. 56 wins this year. He's in good form. I speak of the 21-year-old Dane Sweeney, who those in the tennis community will be very familiar with. Dane, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on here. Great to watch you play. Uh, I've got to say, for anyone, and the ITF do a good job of streaming. They don't show replays, though. I've been talking to the ITF about this in the last uh, week because... If um, we could put up the replay of your, I think it was your, your semi-final, uh, the point where you won and you let out some raw emotion. I mean, people, I chatted to a couple of people courtside who said that was unbelievable what you came up with. Yeah, yeah, got a bit uh, got a bit lucky there, I think. I'm not sure. It felt, it felt 50-50 off the racket and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy, very happy you got called in. But yeah, it was, was some raw emotion. I was a very tough player, so I was very happy to get, to get through that match. Dane, you've appeared on our Aussies Only podcast, which is another offering we have at the first serve a couple of years ago, and it was a great uh, listen just about uh, your endeavours to try and become a, a professional tennis player and the struggles that you, you've got to go through at that, that lower end. And a couple of people I've spoken to have said that maybe you were close to you know, giving it away, and here you are in 2022. You're having a, a tremendous year. The ranking incrementally is, is rising, and... People have said to me, you've really, really dialed in. And in fact, one coach commented to me over the last couple of days that you're, you're right up there in terms of one of the best returners of serve. I mean, obviously you're small in stature on court, but gee, you cover the ground. I mean, do you feel like at the moment you're in a, a great groove to really make something of this tennis career? Has this year given you maybe that extra confidence? Um, yeah, well, uh, I've obviously got a... But a fair bit of confidence after some of the tournaments I've won with a lot of the, uh, a lot of good players playing them. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I am quite dialed in at the moment. I've had a, I've definitely hasn't been easy this year. Um, it's been quite difficult. I was overseas and, you know, kind of struggling there a bit again. Um, and really being overseas, especially I was alone um, by myself for like five weeks, and that that really really tested me. Um, and I actually. I actually tried to stick out an overseas trip. I was meant to go for about 12 weeks and uh, oh, maybe 15 weeks actually and 10 weeks into it, I uh, I actually flew home early. Um, I started to, it was just a really, really real struggle. Um, yep. Throughout my whole career, I've been very results-based, you know, and as, as tennis players and as uh, people growing up in this the Western world, I guess, where we're so accustomed to thinking like achievement and success is all that we have to achieve and we have to become great, you know? Um, and I think just becoming more process based and really just falling in love with, uh, just the whole, the whole journey, um, has really taken the stress and anxiety out of, out of becoming a tennis player. I'm really just, 
just loving trying to improve and kind of viewing viewing success or winning as a kind of a byproduct on how well I can commit to the process and how well I can um, regulate my like emotions on court. I think that's a, that's a big thing I've been working on and probably a big reason why I've been uh, playing well in some of these tournaments, just able to just keep my cool. Because um, I think I do have that good tennis ability. I think yep. it's more really the big challenges in my head for uh, sure. It's a, it's a great point you make and, you know, you're you're only 21, but you know sometimes I suppose you can feel like you're in a hurry. You've got to perform uh, now, and we look at so many tennis players, Dane, playing later. You know, we've just been talking yeah. about Roger this week. You know, 41, hanging up the racket. Players are playing deeper into their 30s, and and ever everyone goes on this different journey. I suppose you can easily get caught up how you're sort of comparing to your contemporaries at the same age, and instead of just maybe focusing on your own journey, which can be different. Uh, it's, it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, we're, we're so accustomed to yeah, viewing others and uh, our peer group as competitors. And, uh, yeah, it gets very, very stressful when you when you think of it that way. And um, I think a lot of players can probably share share my thoughts um, on yeah, just dealing with just the challenges of uh, just trying to just trying to make it as a tennis player. We put so much emphasis on having to make it to feel like what we're doing is worthwhile, you know, and we can kind of... Uh, go away from just enjoying what we're doing and we forget how lucky we really are playing playing a sport we love and traveling the world meeting new people having awesome experiences um and i think if you play play tennis just purely for the love of it i don't think that you can really lose no matter what you get to in the rankings no doubt so where do you feel you're sort of placed i mean a lot of people as i said i chat to a lot of people in tennis who think that there's some real upside to where you can uh you can get to you. You, I mean, you. you know, the sounds of you're closing your eyes watching Darwin this week. The sounds of sort of Alex Demonor just scampering around the court, getting to every ball. Uh, the return of serve. Um, you know, great competitor. Where do you feel like you've sort of gained the biggest edge? Um, I think to be honest, it's. I think I have a. I'm an extreme perfectionist when it comes to my tennis, um, and at times that's been to my detriment. But I think that's that's the driving force of of the quick improvements I've made. Um, I'm always looking to get better. I'm super super hard on myself, and that, as I said before, that's really come back to hurt me. Um, like wanting to quit a few times, and but I think I've really tried to channel that energy and try to use it as positively as I possibly can. You know, I'm always trying to tinker with my game, make improvements. I'm always like super critical, so I'm always looking on things I can get better at. Um, I think that's that's why I'm I'm kind of improving, and I kind of maybe struggled with belief a lot of, a lot through my career, especially in the younger years. I didn't. I kind of always envisioned that I would make it, but I'd never really thought, and I had a lot of times where I questioned if I had the ability to, but now I've, I can see yep. it all kind of coming together and I really believe I can I can get there. I'm not exactly sure what my ranking can get to, but I really think I can make a make a real career out of this. Um, but I'm, I'm more just concerned with just in trying to enjoy the moment sure. right now and not, not really worry about where I'm going to get to. Um, I think the, the better I can do that, I think that will actually further my successes in the rankings. Just give our listeners a little insight into life as an emerging player. When you're not quite at that level, I mean, and we discuss this all the time, Dane, on our show, the levels of prize money in tennis, uh, how many players are actually making a living out of the sport. And, you know, the ATP Challenger Circuit announced a couple of days ago they're going to increase the tour next year by an extra $8 million, more tournaments, 
to give more chance uh, for players in the pathway to you know make a, a living out of the sport. But you know you're playing at those ITF events where you know the prize money isn't enormous. You've got uh, expenses. You talk about you know for the Aussies in particular having to go and spend extended weeks overseas. It it comes at a cost. Yeah, I, I really uh, I think if you want to really look at the at some raw raw display of absolute fight, you've got to come down to the ITF tour. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of win or die down here, you know, because none of none of these players have made any money really, and uh, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite raw, and um, I think yeah, it's, it's extremely cutthroat because you, you you know only the top guys are making money, and they're making ridiculous money, and you you can see that with all the prize money and sponsors, and then. Uh, you see, just just a little bit down the rankings, people making almost no money, and um, so it is. It's quite cutthroat, and I think that's why it's it's super. Uh, players can find it easy to really doubt themselves, and you know, a lot of players, like in any sport, like can uh, can quit early and just. I think yeah, it's quite cutthroat. Um, so that's why it's just integral to have real belief in yourself and um, really just love lo- love what you're doing, because um, otherwise it's just yeah, it gets it gets all a bit too much. For sure. No, I think you've summed it up beautifully. And I think the best thing right now is just to stay in the moment. And another week in Darwin, of course, uh, Cairns to come. Uh, the Pro Tour going through to the end of the year into Sydney and uh, uh, South Australia, of course, down here in Victoria to Terrelgan in uh, late November. I wish you all the best. It's great watching you play at the moment. Uh, I encourage anyone to jump on the ITFs and watch the live stream in Darwin this week. You'll catch Dane and uh, a lot of really hungry players in action and uh, really appreciate the chat. Uh, thanks, Brett. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Dane Sweeney, uh, winner of the ITF 25K in Darwin, part of the Australian Pro Tour over the weekend. Thanks to Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist at his SD Tennis Courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. Check out aste.com.au. Craig Tiley next. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Brett Phillips with you tonight. Tennis Australia is running a series of community town halls around its participation strategy uh, going forward. I tuned in to last uh, Thursday's one. Uh, Let's hear a bit of that. I've condensed down to some key points. Uh, Craig Tiley, the CEO of Tennis Australia, and Tom Lana, the Chief uh, Tennis Officer of the Two Voices You'll Hear. First of all, we believe that we're at a critical juncture. We did, prior to COVID, build out a five-year strategy, which was going to take us to 2024. And over the last 24 months, particularly the last 12, there's been significant changes um, in our environment. The first is that uh, our participation rates have stabilised over the past five years, which which has been good because we've, we've been able to arrest the decline that we had year on year in participation for over 20 years. Not different to what every sport is actually experiencing right now. There's a broader decline amongst all sports. You know, people are more in tune to getting on devices, participating in other activities, and they're moving away from sport into general leisure and activity as well. So sport has a general challenge of getting people not only to 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 participate, but also to to stay participating, to, ret- to, to have really high levels of retention. We have been fortunate in tennis during COVID, uh, we've been able to increase participation rates, but the challenge for us now is to maintain those rates and to continue to increase them. But we do have some headwinds. We're not very clear on the player pathway, it's still confusing, and we need to clean that up. And we do have a lot of duplication in our governance, whether it be through councils and coaches or, or states, the national body, and, and, and even, even clubs um, and associations. So 
So we do have a lot of duplication and uh, is, are there ways we can really streamline that and offer a better focus and delivery, but a much bigger focus on the consumer and the customer and be asked first what they want. We want to be player focused in what we're trying to achieve. Uh, around 20 years ago, we were the number one sport in Australia. Currently, we sit as the number three sport. I think we've done a really good job traditionally in attracting kids to the sport, but we've never really nailed the adult social space. And, and creating a product or a program or an or a alternate format that really attracts people and is easy for people to get back into the sport. How this strategy project differs from what's been done in the past. I think there's a significant difference. The biggest difference here is that we made a conscious decision coming out of COVID that the uh, contextually there were there were competing forces that did re really require for us to do a much deeper engagement in the community. And that was, as I mentioned before, around the economic challenges we're all going to be facing and hardships we're facing there. The introduction of alternative formats of the game that will either be complementary or competitive. The coming out of COVID-19 is a different approach to the way people participate and how they get re retained in the sport and enjoying, and enjoying the bump in participation as a result of COVID-19. And then, of course, just the shifting demographic. So these are enough reasons, enough compelling reasons collectively to go in a, in a much deeper review. And I think this will be the most extensive one we've ever done because we're spending months at least three months on receiving input and the expectation is we'll get thousands of uh, data points um, from the community and from people in the community as relates to tennis. The scope of this is much broader and wider than it has ever been. Instead of talking to ourselves, we will be talking more to our consumers and to our customers and providing not only just survey opportunities, but live forums for feedback. They're an extremely committed group. They're doing the best they possibly can. Not everything, not everything goes according to plan, but certainly we are all in this together and it's not just whether it be last year or the year before leading into COVID or now, as we can improve the ecosystem for the game for everyone, uh, we want coaches to benefit. We want volunteers to benefit. Obviously, there's even challenges amongst officials because Hawkeye Live is trying to replace the role of officiating at, the, at professional events that's happening across the world. So how do we continue to support our officiating staff? And, and in, we did in a recently tournament review and, and competition review to get more people to play. And there's been some challenges. There are some headwinds for the sport and the, we are trying to get ahead of these early. And certainly the objectives that we have laid out for the teams, they'll be completely committed to achieving those those outcomes. But most importantly, they will have a right, the right attitude on wanting to get your input, wanting to get your ongoing input and ensuring that uh, we can deliver outcomes for the sport. And I think we need to look to each other, not just to one body or one entity and for the sole responsibility for the growth of the game. We're all in this together, getting more people to play the game and, uh, and getting more people to stay in the game. And the more we make any kind of contribution to it, particularly those that are on the coalface, on the ground day in and day out, coaching this game, particularly in, and, and volunteering for this game, getting people to play at the clubs casually, as well as in our competitions and tournaments. Uh, we're gonna provide the best possible environment we can. The understanding of the intent is always there for every single person in the organizations. Uh, and that's not just not TA, that's the member associations, that's the club associations, that's the club uh, network, coach network, officiating network, volunteer network that, uh, that make the wheels go around. So we'll continue to do our best, but we're happy to hear when we're not, and we're happy to hear feedback to improve it in a constructive way. Craig Tiley, Tom Lana, tennis.com.au forward slash game on. If you want to check out community town halls, you can get involved, you can have your say uh, where uh, Australian tennis is uh, heading. You can weigh in on that. Happy to receive 
Uh, some comments into the mailbag. The first serve is seen at gmail.com. Thanks to Yarra Tennis Coaching. Eaglemont Tennis Club just off the Eastern Freeway. It's got junior and adult programs available. Shane Scrutton, an absolute beauty. 30 years coaching experience, whether you're a beginner or established, he'll look after you. Check out yarratennis.com.au. Uh, uh, Jack Taylor, I can announce, is the winner of our Casper Rood Yonex E-Zone 100 prize pack, valued at $369, plus, of course, the Yonex Pro Racket Bag, $209, so total value is $625, thanks to Yonex, 76 years of performance product crafted in Japan. Check out their latest range at yonex.com. Haven't quite had enough time to get into the mailbag, so that's an ongoing discussion. I'll just hold over to next week's shows. A bit on that. Uh, the National Tennis Academy as well. We're actually going to go visit uh, the NTA in Brisbane next Tuesday, so we'll have the show from Brisbane uh, next uh, Monday night. Hit them well during the week. I'll talk to you next uh, Monday. Salute the great Roger this weekend. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.